Um, Psalm 51 has really taken me on, on a bit of a ride, actually. And I don't know if you're... Uh, oh, sorry, I just don't want to speak because it's too boomy. Can, can you just drop that before I go any further? Thank you. Um, I think one of the things that Ben said is actually a really good, good segue into, into this psalm. So many of the psalms talk about the enemies that we have in, in our life. And, and that, that's a bit tricky for us as Christians, actually, because we're supposed to love our enemies, not sort of pray curses on their head. And there's psalms that do that, right? There's psalms that say, God, crush my enemy. There's, I mean, really graphic horrible language it makes me think of um, maybe one of the most famous comic strips ever that was running in the 70s called Pogo uh, sort of uh, put this phrase up into the zeitgeist and I think it was paraphrasing a naval commander from the second world war where this character in Pogo says we have met the enemy and they are us have you heard that that before I have met I've seen the enemy and he is me and um, I think there's something quite Christian about that. And, and some commentators, this wasn't actually in my script, but some commentators have seen that Psalm 51 is kind of unique in this, this coming through, this idea that, that the author of this psalm, and we'll talk about it, is not talking about the enemies out there um, unusually for the psalms, but is talking about um, the enemy that... That, that each of us battle against in ourself. There's a, a rabbinical saying, so, you know, Judaism has this, this kind of tradition where the rabbis would look into scripture and, and make commentaries on it. And in some parts of Judaism, that's almost as important as the scripture to go to those commentaries, to go to the sayings. There's a famous saying um, that as each of us, and I've got, I'm, not, I'm really not that great at using props, so I'm, I'm just going to hold them for a second mm -hmm. and then um, and probably put them down. But as each of us go through live our lives, life, the saying goes, we carry a stone in each hand, one stone in each hand, and written on one stone, the first, is the phrase, I am dust and ashes. And written on the other stone is the phrase, for me, the universe was created. And I'm going to kind of actually tunnel into that metaphor as it was as we go through the psalm this morning. I'll put, I might actually put my two rocks here with the elements. So it's going to be story time. Are you ready to kind of come on a bit of a story journey with us? Because I think there's something really profound to that saying that will help us read this psalm this morning. Everybody who walks through this life is created to walk through this life with two stones. In the first hand, a stone that says, I am dust and ashes. And in the other hand, a stone that says, it was for me the universe was created. I've observed in my life 
that many people don't carry these stones evenly. Uh, some people are burdened by one of the stones in particular. One or the other. The first stone, the one that says, I am dust and ashes. I can think of three ways that we end up being particularly burdened by that stone. One of them is that uh, it's a religious idea that we inherit, a religious idea that we take on, that human beings are, are wretched. The most important thing that you can understand about human beings is that we're flawed, corrupt, that we actually can't do what we're intended to do, that uh, at the base of every human being is, is evil, actually, wrong desire. That's one reason. The next is kind of more circumstantial. Some people come into this life and all that they receive is dust and ashes. Right? Maybe it's the family that they've been brought into, a situation that means right from the get-go, it's all dust and ashes. You know, if you come into a family where there's abuse, if you experience the worst of humanity early on and often enough, you begin to see it everywhere, right? Someone offers you kindness and you wonder what's behind that. And you end up carrying this stone heavily. I am dust and ashes. It's all dust and ashes. It may even lead you to drop the other one and forget about it. And then thirdly, there are reasons of our own making. Uh, we choose, um, through our actions sometimes, to preference the stone that says dust and ashes. So sometimes uh, it's a religious idea that we take on. The, the most important thing about a human being uh, that you can know is that they're corrupt, that they're wretched, is a word that we sometimes use in Christian uh, terms and theology. Circumstantial, sometimes it's just all you know, right? And then sometimes you make it for yourself, actually. So you do something uh, wrong. And you know how one bad decision begets another and you find yourself in a circumstance where it's all gone wrong. I think um, that's not an unfamiliar idea. Some, some, sometimes there's films, right? I think of the Coen brothers. They often seem to have these movies where it's, it's a tragedy, actually. Well, it's the genre of tragedy where things just keep getting worse and worse and worse and it's horrible to watch but you can't look away. The um, second thing that I've noticed, and maybe this is more common these days, is that there are some people that walk around really only concerned with the first stone. And on that stone is written this phrase, it was, for me, the world was created. Um, we're not very comfortable with the idea that maybe there's something fundamentally wrong with us, that, that maybe we're, we're evil. I recently listened to an interview uh, with a serial killer. Uh, he, he allowed one journalist in to kind of extensively interview him. He, he raped, tortured and murdered, I think it was half a dozen, eight women dumped their bodies in some bush behind a shopping centre. And he said, I think I'm actually a good person that just has a dark part of me. 
you know, when I talk to people in the street, I want them to be happy, you know, and I've helped people out in my life. But it's just, I've got this thing there. I had this thing that, that, that made me lash out. I killed those women. But, but I think at, at the base of who I am, I'm actually a good guy. That's an extreme example, but I think uh, we know that dynamic, right, in, in people. They can excuse the, 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 the wrong things that they do because uh, they're fundamentally good people. The thing about carrying that stone around, focusing more on that stone, is that it turns into a mirror that only tells you what you want to hear. And I think uh, a bit of Gollum, actually, in The Lord of the Rings, the way that he gets possessed by his precious ring. And it it warps him eventually. He can't think of anything else. If you carry that mirror around for long enough, what eventually happens is that you stumble into a pit, a deep, dark pit. Do you hear what I'm saying? You become entrapped by your selfishness, basically. It, 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 a web is woven around you. You become shackled. You're walking around listening to the opinion that you most want to hear about you and your life and how things are going. And then, bang, you stumble, drop the mirror, and you're in the blackness Tragically, in this story that I'm telling you, there is one thing at the bottom of that pit. Do you know what it is? It's a stone, and on it are written the words, You are dust and ashes. I am suggesting this morning that this is one of those stories that could be like a myth for all people, right? I think most of us here, we can relate to part of this story, but it's actually the particular story of a great king. And um, this king wrote a song about the pit and it's called Psalm 51 and I'm going to read it for you now if you have your Bibles you can read along have mercy on me O God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother's womb, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Let it please you to make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. This is a two-stone song. We read and hear in this song the king that I spoke about remembering his pit experience and crying out to God in verse 1, Have mercy, O God, because his sin and its effect, the memory of that pit, is always before him. In verse 3 it says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I wonder if you've had that experience where you hit the memory of the pit and it seems to kind of pull you back in. You know, you remember the worst thing that you've ever done. Uh, during the course of life you kind of, you just forget and you get past it and you and you maybe you're even doing the right thing for a season and then it hits you the memory and you realize you can't undo that and you wonder maybe if there was other people involved are they okay are they still journeying with this i can't help but wonder if the king who wrote this song basically some of you will know the king that I'm, that I'm talking about and you'll know the story. He was up um, on the roof of his palace and, and looking out over his kingdom and he saw a, a woman, a beautiful woman who, who captured his imagination. He just had to have her. And, and the short of it is, it seems like he raped her and he had her husband killed. And... Um, he had a son with her. And when he says, my sin is always before me, I wonder if he was looking at his, at his son, Solomon, who he loved, who brought him great joy, and seeing the blood of the man that he killed to father that child over the top of him. David is owning up to his sin in this psalm, isn't he? his personal sin but it's as though he feels an inevitability about it he sort of seems to suggest that sin is universal and inevitable and while he has wronged others he actually gives voice to ultimately having wronged God you can read that in verse 4 where he says and against you 
You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What happens in this psalm is that the memory of the pit turns his attention to the stone that tells him that we are all dust and ash. In verse 5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time I was conceived in my mother's womb. But there's hope here as well. Because right at that point, he turns and says, You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. That's a two-stone moment there. Because he's saying, it's not all dust and ash. I've got this sinfulness that seemed to come in right at the beginning. And yet God was teaching me his wisdom at that same moment. God has a a plan that is better than that despite my brokenness. And so we read in verse 7 to 12, the king then crying out for mercy, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. And then the words that we sang, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David had seen the king before him have the spirit depart and he died in the pit. You might remember the story of Saul. Ultimately, he just went down. He never came out. And so he cries out, God, don't let that happen to me. There is a hope and an expectation of salvation even down there in the deep, dark place that the king finds himself in. And ultimately, what we see there in verses 7 to 12 where David is calling out to God to cleanse him is David sort of singing God's ladder of salvation into view. I was trying to think of the movie that it was from. I can't remember if it was uh, Mission Impossible or Indiana Jones or something like that. But there's like a booby trap that's invisible and he casts dust. The, did you, Indiana Jones. And he can see something that was there that wasn't visible with the naked eye. And I think what David is doing here in this two-stone moment, being in the pit, holding on to the dust and ashes part, and yet to the promise of salvation that God could interfere and rescue him from that place. It's like a burnt offering. The end of the psalm talks about a burnt offering. The smoke of praise beginning to ascend out of that pit and the smoke somehow illuminating that there is a ladder of grace and mercy that God is sending down into that place. It is the praise of David that brings God's salvation into view in the pit there. It's by singing a two-stone song that the ladder comes into view. 
And basically, this is uh, one of the things that's come to us as we've gone through this series on the Psalms, that this is what praise is. It's holding on to these two stones at the same time. That's what worship is. It's saying, God, I'm aware that I'm dust and ashes, and yet you've given me hope for something better. The ladder comes down when that happens. That is what is meant by being honest to God, actually. That's why we have the Psalms, because they show us what to do. They show us the posture that we take, what it is that God you know, wants us to be like when we're in that place. And when we send that praise up, that two-stone song, the ladder is visible. We can see David doing this, cleanse me, wash me, God, save me. I'm mindful of my brokenness, of the situation that I've put myself in. Come with me in your imaginations just for a moment into that place. You know, while I've just made the comment this morning that uh, as Christians, we, we try not to see enemies, actually. We, we might have people who see us as an enemy, but it's almost like we say, okay, that's actually just going to make me love you more. That's the commandment that, that our Saviour's given us. But we do have an enemy, and it's not just ourselves. There, there is evil that is intent on our destruction, actually. And the pit is where that evil wants us. Uh, the scriptures sometimes call him Satan, the accuser, the one who is going to say, what's written on that stone that you're stuck down there with is the truth about you. There's nothing but dust and ashes. You're worthless. Nothing that you could try and do in this life is going to amount to anything. It's going to blow away with the wind and you're stuck there. When we're in that place, though, I think tricks can be played on us. Sometimes that voice, that person will say, summon your strength once more. Go another round. I reckon you can get out of this under your own power. But it's a ploy because you're too deep down, right? And you can try and scramble up the walls and climb, but ultimately it's just going to be something that breaks you. You'll be more despondent at the end of your efforts. Sometimes it's like a rope might come down the dark shaft, but you can't see it's frayed halfway up. So you begin to pull yourself out, only to fall even harder the next time. So that you would go down, down, down. So how do we recognise when the ladder of God's mercy and grace is what is in front of us in the pit? It can be confusing sometimes. We have something innate as human beings that we want to get out of the pit. Right. We want to be resourceful enough, smart enough, cunning enough to do it ourselves. Well, I'll let you in on a secret that came to me as I looked at the psalm this week. There's a little inscription 
on the bottom rung of God's ladder of salvation, his ladder of grace and mercy. And it says this on it, and you might want to write this down if you're taking notes, that you are saved for, not from. The bottom rung of the ladder says, you are saved for, not from. And I got this from verse 13 to 15. I'm not just making this up. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be brought back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, God saves you for a purpose, right? A mission. God is in the saving business and he wants you to be in the saving business as well. If you've had that moment of salvation, if you've climbed up that ladder that you think that God has thrown down to you, which you probably have if you're a Christian at some point, and you feel like it stopped nowhere, I think that this passage is suggesting the reason for that might be that for the cleansing work that David is crying out for to really work, we have to accept the mission, right? We can't just be climbing out to save ourselves. To be holding on to your salvation for yourself is to be looking again from the top of what you have structured for yourself. It's to be on the temple pal- uh, on the on the palace roof again. Right, You've climbed up, like David, and you're once again holding on to that rock, the second rock that it says, it's for you the, the universe was created. You're looking over the expanse of your life, the landscape of your life, and you're thinking, what can I get? Is that for me? Can I add that to this structure that I'm building, my life? my life, what I can achieve, what I can do. You're looking out for what you want. The inscription on the bottom rung of the ladder that God will send down to save you says you are saved not from but for, for the mission. I love the way that this psalm ends. And um, again, I think, I think it's a two-stone song. In verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God, you will not despise a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Just kind of like a stone one statement, isn't it? So aware of his own limitation, of his brokenness, of his sin, actually. Humility. Verses 18 to 19, though, I think they're stone two passages. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, 
then bulls will be offered on your altar. There's not only two stones in this story. I don't know if you're picking up. There's two structures as well. There's the palace roof that is implied. The roof from which David looked out. The beginning of the descent into the pit. And we hear here of the walls of Zion. The ladder that God throws down for your salvation. That ladder of grace and mercy to rescue you from the pit. It reaches up to the walls of Zion. It doesn't go to the roof of your palace. It goes up to the walls of the city that God has built for the safety and prosperity of his people. You know, the picture of Zion that we get from the prophets is, you know, the fortress for Israel, but also the blessing for the nations. It is the center from which God's love goes out to the world. And David gets that at the end. He says, actually, Jerusalem, God, can function again. You know, I, I, that picture of the whole bulls being offered on the altar, that's the most substantial kind of offering you could make, really, getting a whole bull up onto the altar and burning that thing. And David's just sort of saying, it, it was always about you, God. He has been saved to that place of understanding that God has a greater purpose for his life than his own designs. It's bigger than his temple roof. It's bigger than anything that he can look out and see and kind of add, you know, add to his harem, add to his treasury. It's something that God is doing in the world for all people. We're going to take um, communion in a moment. And um, in a moment, I'm going to ask Calvin just to play um, a rendition of, of this psalm for us as we come out and receive. Could I get the, the hosts? We're gonna, can we have three? Can we do the three stations? Again, you know, for, for some of us today, as we come and, and receive communion, one, one of these stones is feeling a little heavier than the other. And maybe for you, it is the dust and ashes stone. Maybe you're feeling a little bit in the pit this morning. The promise of this psalm is that God will deliver you from that. Just praise him. Just praise him. Recognize both of those stones. Take the other one that says, God has created the universe for you. He has a better plan for you than you have for yourself. It's not about grasping. It's about praising. Actually, if you're feeling that first stone a little more heavily, in one of the strange twists of of what it means to be a person in relationship with Jesus, you're probably actually in a better position than the rest of us who are feeling that the universe is made for you stone a little more heavily. Because there's a good chance that's like Gollum's ring, right? 
to, to be in a position to climb that ladder of salvation, to be on mission with God, is to be a two-stone people. And that's why you can read the song of this great king who got himself out of the pit and is spoken about as, as maybe the greatest ever human king, a man after God's own heart. Even in that exalted place, as, as Tanya was talking about as she was leading worship, he's humble, right? He knows. He knows that he's a two-stone creature like the rest of us, that he's broken. So we've got... Um, we're going to have some elements at the back and two at the front here. Um, I'm going to pray... Calvin, uh, when I finish the prayer, is going to start to play Psalm 51 for us. And as you come and grab the, uh, the bread and the wine, you know, there's much more to those elements than, than this. But they're, they're kind of two stone elements as well. The blood is symbolic of death in lots of ways. and the bread of life. And I want to encourage you to come and receive the ladder that God is sending down for you this morning, the ladder that he has sent down in the person of Jesus Christ in his death and his overcoming of death. By eating, you can come into that life if you're accepting the, what God has done for you in that you can begin to climb that ladder that will take you to the top of the walls of Zion so that you can look over the plans and purposes of God to save all. His love, his intention is for all to come into this. God, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that Though we find ourselves in dark places where we deserve to be, actually, you sent someone down to save us. And Lord, as we take communion this morning, we're mindful again of how trapped we are but for your great purposes and plans for all of creation and your desire that we would be a part of those. Help us to step into that, I pray this morning. The song we're about to hear as we collect the elements goes for about eight minutes, so if you grab your, grab your bread and wine, why don't you just go sit down and listen to the words and we'll try and keep it as you know, silent as possible as we do this. Once we've all got our elements, I'll pray and we'll take those together. Thanks, Calvin. You can start to come up. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission. For further information about Cornerstone